Welcome to The Cosmic Connection, presented by Astrology Hub. I'm your host, Amanda Poole-Walsh, founder of Astrology Hub, here with Master Astrologer Rick Merlin-Levine. This is your place to explore the order and beauty of the cosmos and your connection to it all. Right. Hello, everybody. Welcome. So, so happy that you're here. Today, we are going to be getting a glimpse into the astrology of October, as perceived by our amazing astrologer, Rick Merlin-Levine. And Rick, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this. I can't wait till I hear what I have to say either. (laughs) You gave me a little sneak peek. Can you tell them what you told me before we went live? Yeah, when I was a kid, uh, we always did these tongue twisters, you know, Peter Piper picked a peck and, you know, and rubber buggy baby bumpers. And there was one that my dad always used to say that went, what kind of noise annoys an oyster? What kind of noise annoys an oyster? A noisy noise annoys an oyster. I don't know why that popped into my head, but as I, well, I do know. Because as I looked ahead at October and kind of played it backward and forward and saw what the heck was cooking with a kind of a laser beam on the month itself, is that it's a noisy month. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of noise. And, And again, we're at this turning point that we talked about, I think, last month that, you know, we're coming out of this. Everything was retrograde. I mean, everything. And then we had Venus turn direct and Mercury turn direct. And now all the inner planets, I mean, the sun and moon are always direct, but Mercury, Venus, and Mars are moving direct and, and, and Mercury's actually gained speed and Venus is almost back up to speed. And so there's lots of transits being made uh, by Mercury, Venus, and Mars. Meanwhile, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and Chiron are all still retrograde, although Pluto breaks the mold in in October um, and and Pluto actually turns direct on October 10th. But what that means is that for the entire month of October, I mean, we start the month with Pluto at 28 and a quarter degrees of Capricorn and we end the month with Pluto at 27 and 50, 27 degrees and 55 minutes, almost 28 degrees, which means that Pluto doesn't even move, you know, a third of a degree for the entire month. And then we have Saturn, which will be the next planet to turn direct. It turns direct on November 4th. And I know by contract, I'm not allowed to mention the word November in October's forecast. But, you know, I know you'll just, you know, take it off of my paycheck. Um, But the point here is that even though Saturn is technically still retrograde all month, Saturn is at about three and a half degrees of Pisces at the beginning of the month. And it's all the way back to, you know, one Saturn barely moves a degree, you know, and a half or so over the month also. So the point here is that although Pluto is turned turning direct 
on the 10th. And although Saturn is poised to turn direct, the outer planets still aren't moving, or they might as well be considered to be moving retrograde. Meanwhile, not only do we have all the little planets or, you know, all the inner planets moving forward and therefore changing signs because uh, Venus, which has been in Leo uh, forever, in fact, Venus, um, Venus entered Leo back on June 5th. That's June, July, August, September, October. Normally, Venus moves through a sign, you know, in less than a month. And here Venus has been in Leo for like four months and Venus is leaving its shadow um, on October 7th. And on October 8th, it leaves Leo, where it's been since June and heads into Virgo. So we have Venus changing signs on October 8th, but we have Mercury, which is also moving direct. And Mercury moves out of Virgo and into Libra on October 4th. But Mercury is almost back up to normal clip. And so where it spends about two weeks in the sign, it, when Mercury is moving really fast, it moves um, just about twice as fast as the sun, which is what Mercury is doing now because Mercury actually makes a conjunction with the sun this month, but not retrograde but on the direct side so it's on the far side of the sun rather than between the earth and the sun so mercury moves into libra on october 4th and two weeks later it leaves libra and moves into scorpio on october 21st that means that mercury is making a um, what's the technical word shit ton it's making a shit ton of aspects this month it because it's moving so fast Mercury is aspecting just about everything. So that increases the noise also. And we have, therefore, we have um, uh, Venus changing signs. We have Mercury changing signs twice. We have the sun obviously changing signs on the 23rd, moving from Libra into Scorpio. But we also have two eclipses this month, which add to the noise. Uh, it's a noisy month. And it feels like now we're going somewhere. It finally feels like we're moving. But we're not. We're still not moving, Rick. You've been saying that. Well, we'll get there. You know, it's um, what, what the old Swami said. Inch by inch, it's a cinch. Yard by yard, it's hard. Um, the outer planets don't move at the speed that we would like them to move. A natural movement for us is the moon. Our moods, our feelings are always in process, are always changing. You know, every day the, the hours tick by and it gets daylight and dark and daylight and dark. And we can relate to these rhythms. But Pluto and Saturn and these outer planets, they trudge along. And when they turn retrograde, it's almost like this, you know, kind of like, 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 a, like a tide pool that's been trapped and the tide's gone out and it has to wait for the tide to come back in. But when the tide comes back in, that still doesn't do it. It's not until it goes out again that there's finally, finally movement. And so, you know, again, it's not like we're negative, double negative. We are making some forward progress, but the forward progress is in the noise. It's in the surface. It's in the interactions, it's in the words, it's in the actions. 
but the fundamental things hanging behind, I think, are going to change slowly. And we may get inklings of it as Pluto turns direct and or is even no longer backtracking. Um, and then as Saturn slows down in its backward motion, getting ready to turn direct. I mean, we have movement that's building. But, you know, anyone who's been a parent knows the concept of a growth spurt. You know, for weeks, maybe even months, everything seems normal. And then one night your kid goes to bed and wakes up two inches taller. I mean, I'm exaggerating slightly, but but off that doesn't mean that there's been no growth in the prior two months. It just means that it's almost like quantum physics. There's a lot that happens in the universe until it's visible, until a, a quanta, uh, until a quantum, a packet of energy is sufficient enough to be per, um, perceived or seen. And so I think that October, um, there's a lot going on. There is a lot going on. Um, and we are making progress, but it's not the fundamental progress that I think is begin to that is going to begin to shift things on a very deep level um, gradually over later October, November, December, January, February of next year. January, February of next year. By then, all the outer planets are moving direct again, and and I think that we'll see some real movement there. Mm, okay, doesn't gonna... mean nothing's happening. Yes. Okay. So things are happening. I know that feeling for me with my two daughters, all of a sudden I woke up one day and I was like, wow, there's like other women in my house now. Like how's that? <laughs> yeah. Overnight. Um, okay. So we, there is growth happening, but we're not necessarily seeing the result of it yet. There's a lot of noise. I'm going to bring you back to those eclipses because I know there's a lot of attention that people are wanting or, or questions that people have about the eclipses. Also, if you're here live, First of all, hello. Second of all, if you do have a specific question about something happening in October, go ahead and drop it in the chat and we can we can cover some of those later. Before we do that, I just want you to know that we have created a free gift for you. It's based on Rick's- I love gifts. I know. Aren't they great? It's, it's based on Rick's um, harmonic uh, class that he did for us. I don't even remember it. A couple months ago, like earlier this year. And we basically created a cheat sheet for you on the meanings as defined by Rick of quintile, septile, and octile. So if you're interested in those harmonic aspects and learning a little bit more about them, you can go and claim your free free gift at astrologyhub.com slash harmonic gift. This is also going to get you on the wait list for Rick's upcoming uh, chart reading extravaganza in which we are going to be focused entirely on harmonic aspects. So you'll get to see Rick um, decoding the harmonic aspects in the students' charts. And we're going to be do doing 16 different charts this time. So if you yeah. are a student in that class, there's, you have a, a greater chance of getting your chart read by Rick, which is quite a treat. So again, you can go get that gift at harmonicgift, astrologyhub.com slash harmonicgift. And um, and then as soon as registration opens up for chart reading extravaganza, harmonic aspects, you will be able to join that class. By the way, Susan, hi, Susan, said that she's excited to have a ticket to meet me um, in Belmont, Massachusetts. That's the Boston NCGR, the, the National Council for Geocosmic Research. And um, and that is going to be the third weekend in October. 
and it is open to the general public. I'm doing a Saturday afternoon um, lecture, and it will be um, on October 21st. And and also while mentioning stuff, uh, I'd also just want to remind people that I'll be back at the Omega Institute with the lovely Rachel Lang, and that'll be on Eclipse Weekend, and we'll talk about the eclipses in just a moment. Um, but that'll be on October 13, 14, and 15. And Omega Institute's just outside of New York City, a couple hours north of New York City. So wanted mm-hmm. to mention those in passing. And Susan, make sure you come up and introduce yourself to me when, you know, in Boston or in Belmont. Yes. Are you going to bring your stickers to put on people's name tags? <laughs> Probably not. Perfect. Okay. So let's let's go back to the- Most the, people have no idea what you just said to me. I know. No, no, he, he has this tradition of putting- very specific personalized stickers on your name tag at the astrology conferences. So I have the best picture of him with my uh, 14-year-old daughter. And he's like, per, you know, painstakingly choose this, choosing the stickers. These are astrologically oriented stickers of comets and stars yeah. and suns and moons yeah. and planets and, and yeah. that kind of stuff. It's, it's yeah. great. Okay. Anyhow. Let's go back to the astrology. So you you said that uh, earmuffs for any kids listening. You said that the uh, that Mercury's making a shit ton of aspects, so that's creating the noise, a lot of the noise sort of element. Um, and then you also just alluded to the eclipses. So, do you want to go into the eclipses now, or would you rather take us more on the day? No, let's save the eclipses a little bit because I, um, I, I'm, um, I hold the unpopular view that I think eclipses are often overemphasized by astrologers. When I look back, comparing what astrologers said about eclipses and what happens, it never the things never quite meet the level of of fear that the ancients had about eclipses that we moderners um, you know still have. I'm not saying they're they're unimportant, just to be clear, um, but I think that the the fact that we have uh, four planets um, this month. Uh, moving through, uh, actually five planets, uh, moving through Libra, I think is really the important thing to focus on and to understand uh, a little bit about Libra energy, because we have Mars, um, uh, the Sun, uh, and Mercury, and of course the South Node is moving through Libra, and the Moon then at the eclipse mid-month will also be moving through Libra also. And and I think oftentimes we write off Libra as a sign that's pretty or pleasant or artistic or, oh, I know the, the, the Libran word is nice. You know, it's like Libras want, want to typically make things nice. But Libran, Libras can be amazing warriors and they can be incredibly powerful people um, because their drive for achieving harmony may involve some very intense and dynamic conflicts. And Libra is not necessarily conflict avoidance. Um, it just takes conflict as a last resort. Um, you know, they, they, you, you look at the term martial arts and it gives you a sense of what Libra is all about um, because Libra is artful. It's Venus related. And uh, and it's almost like it's the art of the grace in warfare. It's the art of war. Um, it's 
um, sitting down at a in the Chinese game of Go and playing this ultimate strategy. Librans are strategic. Uh, are strategic. Um, I always think of um, uh, Ike Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, four-star or five-star general, um, who is the supreme leader of the Western forces in World War II. Um, I don't think he was very effective in hand-to-hand combat as a general, but as a strategist, he excelled. And I think that that's really the undertone of what um, the month of, um, of, of October is about. It's about the dynamic energy of that desire to be strategic, to find harmony, to find balance even if it means taking an extreme position in order to find that balance. And it's interesting because the Mars and eventually when the moon gets around, the sun, moon, and Mercury are all traveling together. They make in groups, they make aspects with other planets that we'll talk about at the eclipse moment in, in, in just a moment. Um, but they all, for example, Um, the Mercury and the sun and eventually um, the moon, they all square Pluto like around the 20th. Um, And they all, um, they, 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 because they're moving in clusters, um, they all quincunx Neptune toward the beginning of the month, the first Venus and Mars, and then the sun um, later on. And they, and, and they all, they all square Pluto this month. I think I mentioned that already. They all trine Saturn. And so we're getting some stability from their trines to Saturn, but we're getting some real, ugh, some deep power struggles um, from their squares to Pluto. And then they'll all conjoin the South Node around the eclipse time. So I think there's a lot going on. It's just that I'm going to come back and say one more time with, with, with the um, Jupiter, Saturn, Chiron, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto all either retrograde, stationary direct, or ready to be stationary direct, on the deeper level, we're not seeing the movement that I think ultimately we want to see. Rick, um, KP1231 is wondering if you can elaborate on Mars passing through the South Node. Are you paying attention to that transit too? Um, Yeah, and and actually um, what happens is that Mars is the first planet because Mars is running ahead of the pack right now. Um, you know, if the planets are moving through Scorpio, Mars um, is, is the first planet to uh, break through. It moves into Scorpio on the 11th. And so Mars actually is the first of the planets to align with the nodal axis. It aligns with the south node on October 4th. But then the sun does it on the 18th, along with Mercury. Um, and so I think that the, the, the other thing about this month that is not a lightweight and is not just surface noise is that the nodal axis, which, as we know, travels in retrograde, is catching up to and will actually conjoin Eris. Um, and that, that also occurs, um, quite early in, in the month that, um, let me get you the exact date here. Whoops. Oh, crap. Hold on a second. This thing just 
sometimes I hit this animate button that I'm looking at as we're talking and it just runs away so fast that I can't even, I, I can't even, so I got to, okay, here we go. So what we're, we're, what we're looking at is um, on September 1st, we have Eris, which I know a lot of astrologers don't use, but it's the same you mean case. October first. I'm sorry. You mean October first? I, I mean, I, I mean, on October first. Thank you. A lot of astrologers don't use Eris, but it's that same concept that maybe astrologers might not have used Uranus when it was discovered, or Pluto, or Chiron. Um, and I think because Eris is such a potent force that more and more astrologers are using it, you know, uh, on a regular basis. Um, but Eris on on October 1st, thank you for correcting me, um, is at 24 degrees and 52 minutes. The nodal axis is at 24 degrees and 54 minutes. Now, Eris is retrograde along with all the other outer planets. But what that means is that we start the month um, we even end September, but we start the month with the nodal axis conjoined to to um, Eris, and it actually becomes um, exact, exact, exact because the nodes retrograde very, very slowly. Um, that that aspect becomes exact on. Um, I'm just getting the date here. It's actually taking longer. It actually doesn't back up until it, it doesn't actually um, reach Eris in, until um, November. Um, what that means, though, is that when Mars is opposing the no, well, opposing the North Node, when Mars is conjoining the South Node, um, as it does on um, what do we say it, it does on October fourth, it's also opposing Eris. Now, Eris is Mars's sister. And Eris is a total badass. Um, Eris uh, really um, is the goddess of, of chaos, of disruption, of um, and we're you know coming off of a period of time where Pluto, everyone fo was focused over the last years through the twenty teens um, and the beginning of the twenty twenties with um, with Pluto um, with Uranus squaring Pluto, but Eris was also squaring Pluto, and so. Um, yeah. I think that there is some significance here um, to the deeper uh, chaos that is just coming more and more out in the open. I still don't see it as a fundamental shift in the in the basic fabric, um, but I do see it as strong that Mars going over the nodal axis. But it's not just because Mars is going over the nodal axis. It's because Mars is conjoining the south node and opposing Eris simultaneously. And that makes it, I think, very, very potent. And it also potentizes um, the um, eclipse, which we'll get back to in a moment too, because the eclipse is a sun-moon conjunction um, in Libra, and that sun-moon conjunction in Libra is also opposed, uh, or it's, it's conjoined the south node, but it's also um, opposing Eris too. So I do think that that's an important piece and I think that we'll see the the anger level. How can it get even higher? I think we'll see that go up even more um, this month. Um, but again, I don't see that turning into an absolute and fundamental shift. Although I think that we're 
we'll begin to get clues this month as to where the bigger picture is going, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Do you want to walk us through sequen sequentially the month? Yeah. Yeah, okay. sure. Noise, but not a whole lot of forward, like not a lot of new evidence or, or new growth as a, as a result of that movement and noise in our lives, but definitely a lot going on. Definitely, definitely a, um, a lot going on. And yeah, and again, I think it's important to understand um, that we start the month with um, the sun and Mars in, um, in, in Libra and, um, and, and that Mercury enters Libra right at the beginning of the month and um, Mercury enters Libra on the 4th. Um, but at the very, very beginning of the month, um, on the second, we have Mercury still moving through late Virgo, making an opposition with Neptune. And that Mercury opposed Neptune around the, uh, on the second exact, but on the first and second can be a bit confusing. And yet Mercury is being a bit of a trickster here because Mercury is opposing Neptune, which might confuse us in the relationship dance a bit. But we also have Mercury making a trine with Pluto that's exact on the third. And on the third, we get some complicating factors because as Mercury moves to the trine to Pluto, we're sure that we're right. We gain solidity in our thinking. Um, we gain power in our words. But at the same time, on the third, we have Mercury making a quincunx. I'm sorry, that's Venus making a quincunx with Neptune. Venus making a quincunx with Neptune. Venus moving direct toward the end of Leo. And, you know, I think that we're fuzzed out a bit. I think that that the first few days of October can be a bit confusing. Even on the fourth, when Mercury makes it square and a half with Jupiter, we're thinking big. And then, of course, that Mars comes in on the fourth also. And, and Mercury moves from Virgo into Libra on the fourth. I think that the opening week of, of uh, October is is a bit confusing. Uh, I think that we're not quite clear as to what's going on, where we're coming from, where we're going to. I think that continues through the fifth and the sixth when um, Mars and Venus are, um, and even the sun, they're all forming quincunxes. What the exact aspects are doesn't matter. Well, I may, for some people on the fifth, it's Mars quincunx Neptune. On the sixth, it's Venus quincunx Pluto. And on the seventh, it's the sun quincunx Jupiter. The bottom line is that we're annoyed, we're irritated. There's, there's things that are going on and we're not able to put it all together into a complete package. Um, and then on October 8th, I think we have a major, major uh, potential meltdown. And that is that Mars um, at 27, almost 28 degrees of, um, of, of uh, Libra makes an exact square to Pluto at almost 28 degrees um, of uh, Capricorn. And remember, Pluto is stationary because it's turning direct just a few days later on the 10th. And so this Mars square Pluto, to me, feels like a major um, expression of the conflict um, of two different forces, the Mars and Libra trying to be diplomatic, trying to be, um, trying to find the, the um, solution by mediation, by negotiation, and the um, Pluto stationary in Capricorn 
saying, screw you, I'm not budging, I'm not moving, I'm just going to dig in my heels even further. And I think we have a bit of a standoff there. And I think that that's exacerbated by also on the 9th, we have Venus opposing Saturn. And this may be a day, October 8th, 9th, 10th, at the end of some kind of noise and 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 uh, irritation. I, I think it can be um, uh, here like a bit of frustration hits the fan and, you know, and someone, you know, takes a poke at someone. And when I say that, I don't mean that physically, although it certainly can be that. I just mean the energy has been held back enough and we're confused enough that we actually um, kind of can can push for something to happen when um, um, Mars is making the square to Pluto on the 8th. Venus is making the opposition to Saturn, feeling like we're never going to get what we need or want. Then Pluto turns direct. On the 10th, also, the sun is opposed Chiron. Um, this is, again, from Libra to Aries. It's the my wound versus all of your others that have your own wounds. It's what I know as truth that I have to teach compared to how that bumps up against what you know to be truth. And I think that these are some tricky days because then on the 11th, Mars um, actually leaves its diplomatic place where even though it was stressing out with its square to Pluto, it was still aiming toward finding resolution rather than when it moves into Scorpio on the 11th, it says no more Mr. Nice Guy. You know, Mars in Scorpio, um, you see Libra gets to see both sides of the equation. In other words, it's balancing both sides of the scales. Um, Libra is both sides of the coin, and it's aware that the coin has two sides. When Mars, the planet of conflict, assertion, aggression, direction, setting boundaries, when it leaves Libra and enters Scorpio on the 11th, it basically says, all right, I'm done being nice. Here's my point of view. And if you disagree with it, you need to deal with my, you know, my intention, my wrath, whatever. So I think that that is a bit of a game changer. And also right in there, thankfully, we have on the 13th, Mars making a trine with Neptune. And remember, I said several other planets will too, as they move through early degrees. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, as they move through early degrees of Scorpio, they're going to be making trines with Saturn, which is still technically retrograde, but for all practical purposes, it's stationary retrograde. Um, and um, I mean, it's it turns direct the first days, of, first week of November, but Mars makes a trine with Saturn on the 13th, and then Mercury and the Sun make trines with them um, that with Saturn um, are around the 22nd, 23rd. But this gives us an ability to stabilize the disruption and the discomfort of what went on the first part of the month, even though as Mars is trining Saturn on the 13th, and we're coming into the eclipse, which we're leading into talking about now, but as Mars is creating stability with its trine to Pluto, Mercury is making a square and a half to Saturn, and it's that which we thought was stable, that which we thought was true, once again, is kind of, you know, messed up, and we're, we're, we're irritated. We have to move toward um, this um, uh, new moon um, this eclipse that we're coming closer and closer to, and the moon enters Libra 
um, late in the day on the 12th. Um, and by, uh, let me get the exact time here, by 10.55 a.m., and that's Pacific time. Um, so that's 10.55 a.m. on October 14th. That is a an annular solar eclipse. Now, an annular solar eclipse is kind of like a total eclipse, but because the moon is not a supermoon, the moon is at the um, farthest it gets from the Earth. Um, because the moon is small, when the moon covers the sun, it doesn't cover it completely. I had the privilege of seeing a uh, an annular eclipse. The word an annulus is a ring. I think it actually is the same root as the um, as the word anus. It's the same root word, but an, an annular in, um, um, is it, it means a ring around the sun. And it's not just the corona. I had the privilege. I started to say um, uh, on Boxing Day, the day after Christmas in 2019. I was um, this is pre-COVID, um, and I was in. Uh, um, Malaysia and in Thailand. And I flew over to uh, Singapore because the eclipse was total there. But even though it was a total eclipse, you it, it, the sky didn't get dark like it does during a normal to total eclipse. Um, but it was brilliant. I, I, I was in this field by the, by the marina with probably three or 4,000 other Singaporeans and although I had my sophisticated camera set up and cool lenses and all kinds of stuff, everyone else had computer-driven tripod. I mean, the technical stuff was crazy. Anyhow, this is a, a, an annular eclipse. And what most astrologers will most likely talk about, how this is a, a south node eclipse, meaning that, that the, this, uh, this uh, new moon eclipse uh, in Libra is aligned with the south node, not the north node. So it's typically tied with letting something go from the past as eclipses often are anyhow. But that Mercury direct is only four degrees away from the, um, from the eclipse degree, which means that this eclipse for all practical purposes, excuse me, um, is conjoined with Mercury, which activates the whole communication piece in this. And then the other thing is that Mercury is partile by degree opposed Chiron on the day of the eclipse. And we also have, remember, the, the eclipse is at 21 degrees of Libra. We have the nodal axis at 24, almost 25 degrees of Libra. And so that's where Eris is too, at 24, almost 25 degrees of Aries. So what we have is this incredible tug of war, standoff, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, match. Uh, a, a tug of war is like a pulling match um, with Mercury, um, the the Sun and the Moon and the South Node, and even Mars. Although Mars is off into Scorpio land, it's still in that same cluster. They're all pulling one way. And the other way, we have the North Node, the future, pulling with chaotic, disruptive Chiron and the mentor, the teacher, who's teaching because he knows what the wounds are and trying to prevent them further, uh, Chiron is pulling the other way. Now, this in itself would be an in 
incredibly dynamic and important piece. But there's something else that's occurring that unless you look at um, harmonic aspects, um, most astrologers will never see. And what that is, and this becomes a recurring theme for both eclipses um, uh, in, in October, the um, solar eclipse on the 14th, um, and the full moon lunar eclipse on the 28th. And what, it's, what you don't necessarily notice is that the sun and the moon at the time of the eclipse, of, uh, at the time of the eclipse, um, are making um, squares and a half, ha um, uh, that's a, that's a sesquisquare with Saturn. And they're making a half square with Venus. Now, remember, we just had Venus opposing Saturn, which is that feeling like we're never going to get what we want. And we now have that Venus opposition to Saturn meeting up with the um, solar eclipse opposition to Chiron Eris um, and the South Node. And together, if we go around that chart, we have Venus half square to the Libra cluster, square and a half to nearly stationary Saturn in Pisces. Saturn in Pisces is a half square um, back, um, back to, uh, um, on the other side, um, back to the cluster in Aries, um, including the node. And then that in turn is a square and a half back to Venus. So in other words, if you can think of like a rectangle and four points on the rectangle are held by Venus and Saturn opposite and um, the Libra cluster opposite from the Aries cluster. This is incredibly dynamic. And I think um, it really exacerbates all the stresses and tensions that are playing out in our lives, whether they're individual, whether they're community-oriented, whether they're work-oriented, whether they're relationship-oriented, whether they're politically-oriented, whether they're in relationship to all the political stuff that's going on in the court system in the United States now. I think it's going to impact all of it. Um, again, it doesn't change the fundamental, fundamental sitting at the bottom of everything with the outer planets, but I think it really does stir things up. And it really is a point in change in the month because, um, because after that, I think we see a, 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 a week of more dynamic energy um, as we have, first of all, Mercury joining up, catching up to the sun, and that's on October 19th. Um, oh, we also have Mercury um, catching up with the um, nodes, with the with the South Node. And I talked, we talked about the Mars conjoining the South Node. But on October 18th, the Sun conjoins the South Node, and Mercury conjoins the South Node because Mercury and the Sun are conjoining themselves. That's exact on the 19th. Communication is focused, but it's still in Libra. It's looking for the diplomatic way out. However, that doesn't last because by the 20th, Mercury, which is moving at almost two degrees a day, Mercury squares Pluto on the 20th, followed by the sun's square to Pluto on the 21st. Now, remember, Mars squared Pluto back on October 8th. And it's easy to not make these connections um, when we're just living our lives because every day feels like it's what's going on right now. But 
we need to pay attention to what's going on around the 7th, 8th, and ninth, because that power struggle that's being played out is not only exacerbated by the, um, um, by the uh, solar eclipse, but it will then be rattled and re-stimulated again through that uh, 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st, when the, um, when the sun and Mercury square Pluto, which is transformational, but it's still holding its position, even though it's now turned direct, it's barely moving direct. I mean, um, on the 21st, Pluto is at 27 degrees, 55 minutes um, of, um, of, of, of uh, Capricorn. And on the day that Pluto actually was stationed, it was at 27 degrees, 54 minutes. That was October 10th, meaning in, um, you know, in a week and a half, um, Pluto has not even moved one sixtieth of a degree. So these squares to Pluto are incredibly important. Um, and that kind of peaks on the 21st. And thankfully, we have, again, a, a piece of ameliorating cosmic relief. And that is that Venus, which has, um, in fact, um, moved along, um, Venus is actually coming into a trine with Jupiter. Now, there are many astrologers who would say that a Venus trine Jupiter is the sweetest aspect that can happen. Why might they say that? Well, Venus and Jupiter are traditionally the benefics. You know, uh, Jupiter is the cosmic, uh, you know, the cosmic good guy. And Venus, um, because it's not as large in size, is the cosmic not quite as big good guy, good gal, good. It's a, you know, can certainly be associated with yin energy. And when there's this balance on the 21st between uh, Venus and Jupiter, this can really, uh, it can make nice. It can make everything be seem okay for a bit. And remember, we also have, and I mentioned this earlier, we also have Mercury and the Sun at the end of Libra, just barely um, uh, into Pisces. They both move into Pisces on October 22nd and 23rd, respectively. But they're already trining Saturn. Saturn has retrograded all the way back to zero degrees and 40 minutes, but zero degrees of Pisces. And so while on the 21st, the sun is squaring Pluto saying meltdown, meltdown, red alert, conflict, deep, deep rooted power struggle um, that's going to be played out on a very fundamental level. At the same time, we have, you know, um, not only Venus trining Jupiter saying, oh, but it's going to be okay, everything's going to be fine. But we also have Mercury and the sun already within one, within one and a half, two degrees of trining Saturn, saying that something stable can come from this. And I think that over the days ahead, when Mercury moves into Scorpio on the 21st um, and makes its trine to Saturn on the 22nd, then um, the um, sun moves into Scorpio on the 23rd. It makes its trine to Saturn on the 24th. And it almost feels like, like for a few days, we're having some settling out, something, something kind of we can take a few breaths. And, and as a friend of mine once called this kind of thing, he called it a pause in the disaster. 
it may be more than a pause. We may actually get some stability out of this. Um, and yet the month, I don't think, ends on such a stable note because after those trines to Saturn, we then have um, another round on October 26th, 27th, and 28th where we have quincunxes and sesquisquares again. And now we have um, um, Mars and Mercury, um, Mercury having just about caught up to Mars because Mercury is moving so fast. Um, and we're, we get that Mercury-Mars conjunction on the 29th. And of course, now we have the Sun, Mercury, and Mars all in Scorpio. There's the, the, Again, this isn't about keeping peace. This is about you know, fighting to the finish. This is about doing whatever it takes, you know, to get your way. And we have the full moon eclipse here on the 28th that we'll come back to, but it's right in the midst of this very intense period of time where starting after the trines, the sun and Mercury trines to, uh, to Jupiter, uh, um, to Saturn, um, and, um, and, uh, Mars is trying, yeah, wait a minute. Mercury and Mars is trying to Saturn and Venus is trying to Jupiter. After all that, on the 26th, we get Venus quincunx Chiron. Uh, the healing doesn't seem to happen. We get Mars um, and Mercury both making a square and a half, a sesqui square. That's an, a, a, a harmonic aspect of three eighths, an eighth harmonic aspect. Mars and Mercury making sesquisquares to Neptune, confusing the issue. But we also have um, Mercury conjoining Mars, saying, even if I'm confused, I'm going to I'm going to act Mars on what I think Mercury. And so we have a bit of a dangerous combination here coming. And then late uh, on the morning of the 28th, we have Mars at 10 degrees of Scorpio moving to 11 degrees of Scorpio, where we have Jupiter at 11 degrees of Taurus, and we have an exact Mars-opposed Jupiter opposition with Mercury coming into it that's exact um, later in the day. And in the midst of this, we have the, um, uh, or, or right, leading right up to this, um, and in the midst of those two oppositions, we have the full moon eclipse, which is at 1.24 p.m. on the 28th. So the And we'll say more about that in a moment. But I was just trying to place this um, all in context because it is a, a rock and roll ending to the month. It, it doesn't change what I said, though, um, you know, about the fundamental stuff not moving as quickly forward as we like. But it really does build to a crescendo. Uh, that seems to be my word these days um, toward that um, solar. I'm sorry, toward the um, lunar eclipse on the um, um, uh, yeah on on the 28th. Rick, do you want to talk a little bit about that just to end it? Because there are a few questions that came in from the audience that I'd love to ask you. I absolutely do. Um, so let me just get that chart up here, which I just had a moment ago and has disappeared do to do to do to do to do to do there it is and I like that hold music what's that? I like your hold music <laughs> yeah uh okay so um 
the the actual eclipse, as I said, as I said earlier, uh, is at 1:24 p.m. on October 28th, and it occurs with the moon at five degrees and nine minutes of Taurus. So this is a Taurus full moon to the sun at five degrees and nine minutes of um, of Scorpio. So the sun is. Remember the previous eclipse. The sun was conjunct Mercury, but Mercury was earlier than the sun degree. Now we have the sun still conjuncting Mercury, but now Mercury is five degrees ahead of the sun. So we have about a little bit over five degrees between the sun at five degrees of Scorpio and Mercury at 10 degrees of Scorpio. We have the moon at five degrees of Taurus. And Jupiter at 10, actually almost 11 degrees of Taurus, which means that this full moon eclipse, we now have a different tug of war. Eris and Chiron are no longer involved in it. What's involved in this tug of war is not between self Aries and not self Libra, between me and you. This tug of war is between what my values are, what I own, and what I have, and my own sense of wealth, of money, of values. And that would be the moon magnified by Jupiter in Taurus at one end of the tug of war. And at the other end of the tug of war, I have the sun, Mercury, and Mars. And so I'm willing to fight for my words with a very pointed perspective here. And so this eclipse, I think, is is a lot more intense um, than the um, than than the uh, mid month eclipse, but crazy enough, we still have that eighth harmonic half square square and a half thing cooking that we also did at the previous eclipse. And I think astrologers who miss this will miss the point of how. Remember, at the previous eclipse, we had Venus um, just having opposed Saturn. Well, at the lunar eclipse on the 28th, we have Venus coming into an opposition with Neptune. And that Venus opposition um, to Neptune doesn't occur until November. So I'm not at liberty to talk about it completely, other than mentioning I have a Venus Neptune opposition in my chart. I know how it works. And it can be very confused. It can be very spiritualizing, but it can be very confusing because we're projecting our uncertainty onto others. And so Venus is opposing Neptune while the Sun, Mercury, Mars, and Scorpio are opposing Jupiter um, and the Moon in Taurus. And all of those, those both, op- both of those oppositions and all of those planets are tied together again by a square and a half from Neptune, this time from Neptune to um, uh, Mars, Mercury, and all of that stuff and, and the Sun. Um, and a half square um, on the other side to Jupiter, the moon and Jupiter. And then Venus is tied in by a half square to the planets in Scorpio and a square and a half to the planets in Taurus. So again, I need to make sure that people understand, people who don't use semi-squares and sesquisquares, that's a 45 degree, that's a half of a square or an octile, an eighth of a circle. Or a three-eighths of a circle, which is a square and a half, a sesqui square. A sesquicentennial is 150 years. It's 100 years and half of 100 years. So a sesqui square, 
or some people say sesquiquadrate, is a square, which is 90 degrees, plus a half, 45, and 90 is 135. And so both of these eclipses have this kind of Thor's rectangle, which has to do with these um, half squares and square and a halves that are not weaker than squares or oppositions. They are just more precise. They have narrower focus. They are incredibly motivational. They, it's, it's almost like when we have a square, we can see a conflict and we can engage in it, but we don't have to do anything about it. We don't have to resolve it. We can just sit in the conflict. With the half squares and, and sesqui squares, it's almost like we're motivated to do something. And so I think as we get toward the end of the month and we see um, this full moon in Aries, I'm sorry, this full moon in Taurus, which is conjoined and coming into this exact conjunction with Jupiter, that this is really big. It's and and it's like we are going to want to make a stand for what we believe is ours. And if we feel threatened, if we feel that our personal property is being threatened, or our um, professional trajectory is being threatened, or our political stand in the world or our social stand in the world is being threatened, or if our power is being threatened in a relationship and our value is that we have this power, um, I think that this is going to be um, action, action producing. So I think that's kind of where, that's the potency of this month. Mm. Okay. A lot going on. I want to go to a couple of those questions, Rick. Uh, okay. Um, one from Naughty Zen Stranger. You talked a little bit about a period of time in the month where there would be confusion. It was, it was really the first week in October. And you said on a higher level, would that, well, I'm sorry, Naughty, Naughty Zen is asking, on a higher level, would that confusion be challenges to stay true to ourselves and trust our intuition? I think meaning like if there's a bunch of confusing things happening and swirling is the challenge then for us to trust ourselves and listen to ourselves. Um, absolutely. Yes. But it could absolutely be the opposite too, which is we could be challenged to trust the information that we're getting, which then would force us to readjust our, uh, 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 what we thought was being true to ourselves. In other words, mm. in, in other words, it, it, this is tricky territory. It's easy to say Neptune is confusing, and therefore whatever we believe, we should hold on to even more. But if I'm saying, you know, the sky is red, the sky is red, and I look up and I see the sky is red, and the sky is red because I know it's red, and then all of a sudden mm. I see all these scientific reports that say there's something wrong with my eyes, that the sky is actually blue. And I get the corrective surgery and I see, oh, my God, this guy is really blue. It's not about me holding my illusion. And I'm not saying that it's one or the other. I'm right. saying it's just as dangerous to go to one place as it is to the other. Ah, OK. So the confusion could be a little bit of like cognitive dissonance between what we thought was happening. And then things are revealed that confuse us because it's like, wait, no that's actually not happening. Yeah. And no, it's like we all have areas in our childhood that as we lived through and we thought everything was perfect. Mm -hmm. And then years later, we realize 
that we were shielded from the truth. We were um, because someone thought that it was more important for us to not know the truth. And therefore, it never dawned on us that this is the way it really was. Mm. That's the other side of this. Um, And so uh, and again, I'm not trying to force one or the other. Um, I'm just saying that that if we're going to really use astrology to help us understand what's going on, we have to entertain both sides of that equation because both sides are operative at some level. Mm. Okay, I like this question from Esther, too. Okay, Rick, I always love your monthly forecasts. I would like to understand why you lately relatively often state that we don't see the movement we want to see as wouldn't that really depend on the individual chart? I feel that despite outer planets and retrograde, we always have a choice and can make changes, movement, and growth, especially as outer planets are often in retrograde and for a long time. Does this mean we don't experience movement and growth in your view? I think you kind of addressed this before, but yeah, but 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 I understand the nature of of, of the question. I think it's I think it's a good question and a clear question. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 let me be very clear. In no way am I saying that an individual can't make good decisions and, in fact, work toward whatever those goals are that are part of those decisions. I'm absolutely not saying that at all. I'm just saying that we can make good decisions and we can work toward them without having the immediate um, appearance of that work going anywhere. That doesn't mean it's not working and it doesn't mean it's not going anywhere. So thank you, Esther, for this question, because uh, and let me say one other thing before. I know I got two sentences going here right now, but oh, well. you say that especially as outer planets are often in retrograde and for a long time. That is true. On the other hand, it's not true that Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and Chiron, and Eris are all retrograde at the same time with even a Mercury and, and or a Venus retrograde in the midst of that. That is not true. That is rare. Usually there's one or two planets in retrograde, one or two planets traveling retrograde, and the others are direct. It's rare for all of them to be uh, in effect um, in signs opposite where the sun is, or at least clustered. You see, right now we have all the outer planets clustered from early Aquarius, well, from late Capricorn, where Pluto has retrograded back to. Um, All the outer planets are in Capricorn um pisces aries and taurus so they're all clustered together which means that when the sun is moving in the signs opposite that cancer leo virgo libra and into scorpio where we'll be heading this month that means all those planets going to have to be retrograde all the outer planets and so that's rare that is that is that is um uh, unusual uh, i don't know um, what the statistics are, or once in however many years, all I know is that that's rare, um, and that exacerbates this feeling of not making progress. Now, on the other hand, we can make individual progress. We can take great strides if our chart, you know, is is wired to some of these events. We, you know, to these to these um, faster moving other planets, or even the stationary planets even the retrograde planets, 
you know, if we've had Saturn, let's say, um, I mean, Saturn has been going through early um, uh, Pisces and it's retrograding. But let's say in my chart, um, let's say that I have my son um, at um, two degrees of um, cancer and it's a and it's a strong sun um, because natally um, it's um, it might even be conjoined Saturn just to make this up. Point is that even though Saturn's going retrograde right now, Saturn's trining my natal sun in Saturn. And that Saturn has gone direct over it, which has created strength and endurance and stability. And those things that I set up on Saturn's direct motion, even though Saturn's now moving direct, I'm retrograde, I'm still working on those things so that when Saturn turns direct, that's when that growth spurt may occur. But it doesn't mean that I'm not making progress. It just means that I might not feel like I'm getting as far along as fast as I want to because of things that are out there that are outside of my frame of reference. Is that a little bit clearer? I think so, Rick. And I, I think it really speaks to our uh, proclivity towards enjoying more of like a linear growth pattern. Like, you know, we can see it. It's 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 measurable. We're actually making progress that we... It's also illusory or illusionary. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So this is just pointing to the more natural growth that actually does happen where you might not always feel like you're growing but something's happening something's happening that's the, yeah. so 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 the thing is is that even through october as we're distracted by events and the noise of things and having to do that and and the busyness of life it's important not to take our eyes off the ball you know think basketball how fast that ball can move mm -hmm. and we may be involved in this over here but we got to keep our eye on what's going on because there's a larger game being played. And if we can focus on that, then we don't get discouraged in the noise of, of the noisy noise and making, or being annoyed. But wait, the annoy, a noisy noise annoying the oyster. It doesn't. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to um, ask you another question. This came from Robert. The lunar eclipse is on the anniversary of the crash of 1929. In the mundane realm, does this portend caution? Um, not for me. Uh, I, I mean, it, it may for some people who watch that, there's obviously a solar degree or a solar, you know, a, a solar a, event. Um, I'd have to do a lot more digging on what's happened in the past nearly 100 years when the sun has hit that degree. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, well, you're uh, saying it's not really a unique uh thing that's happened it's not like it hasn't happened well it, it, again i different people look at different things um i i tend to uh as sometimes as crazy as i my astrology might appear with looking at the you know septiles and octiles and reptiles and turnstiles and kitchen tiles and all that kind of crazy stuff or midpoints or whatever ultimately i'm a nuts and bolts astrologer and and if, and, and, if, and if it's astrology, I'm doing astrology and it works. And just because the sun returns to the same place every year, uh, as it does on our birthday every year, that's a solar return. Just because this is a solar return, let's remember that that fall of the, the stock market crash um, has had 95, 96 
solar returns um, since it occurred without additional crashes. Does that mean, though, that it might have some tendency because there's so much other stuff in line here that may indicate some financial or fiscal fiscal shenanigans on some level? Yeah, can't say. Mm. Okay, all right. All right, so just a few things in summary. This first opening week of October may be confusing, annoying, irritated, not able to put things into a real clear, clean package. Um, and also, there's going to be some power struggles on the 7th, 8th, and 9th. And there's this seven, whatever happens on the 7th, 8th, and 9th may reverberate a couple other times throughout the month. And right. you, you pointed those out. So... Uh, and right. in, in particular, when the sun and Mercury square Pluto, like Mars squares Pluto on the 8th, the sun and Mercury square Pluto on the 20th and 21st. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. You said that on the 8th, 9th, and 10th, that the frustration hits the fan, that there's uh, energy that's been held back. Uh, we may be feeling like we need to push for something to happen. But that frustration levels may be at a peak. Which means okay. don't stand in front of the fan. <laughs> Definitely. Don't do that. Okay. Um, we have this on October 14th is the solar eclipse. I love the explanation you gave of annular. I probably have heard that before. But for whatever reason, the way that you explained it this time definitely um, stuck. So it's yeah, I think only- I'll, I'll post for those of you who follow me on Instagram. Um, I'll, I'll post a couple of pictures that I took of the annular eclipse. Um, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Uh, what, what's the, what is your social media for them? Um, uh, Rick Levine astrologer, like it is everywhere. Facebook, okay. YouTube, right. Rick Levine astrologer. Okay. No comment. On October 14th, we have this annular solar eclipse. It's almost total, but the only reason why it's not is because the moon isn't a super moon. It's smaller. And so it doesn't cover the sun completely. Sure. Uh, it's a south node eclipse, so letting go of something from the past. There's this tug of war happening. Um, again, this power struggle thing is definitely emphasized again. You said it's incredibly dynamic. It exacerbates the stress or the tension, the underlying tension in our relationships, and really stirs things up. You also called it a point of change in the month. So it's like a little bit of a, a turning point in the energy. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then we have on the 20th and 21st, right? Like you said before, that power struggle is up again. That seems to be quite a theme for the month. Um, well, and especially with Pluto turning direct, you know, let let's not forget that since since last March, was that when Pluto went retrograde? No, I don't remember. I'll I'll find that real quickly. Um, but, um, yeah, Pluto, um, uh, no, it turned retrograde. It moved into, um, Aquarius in March. It turned retrograde in, in May. So from May to now, Pluto has basically been very slowly. It's just, I mean, in, in all those months, it's retrograded maybe three, four degrees. Um, so Pluto is no longer moving backward. And so on some very deep, profound level that still may be hidden, because Pluto is hidden, the underworld, there's stuff happening that indicates a deeper transformation that in some ways has, on on some level, has occurred, although it's so slow 
that it's going to take a while until we see it bubbling up. And I think that when the Mars squares Pluto and the Sun and Mercury square Pluto, um, that I think we're going to get inklings of what that's all about. Mm. Okay. The only two days of the month that sound relatively chill, everything we went through is October 23rd and 24th. No, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix that for you just real quickly here because Mercury trines Pluto on October 3rd. And that's a day um, where in the confusion, there's that strength and deeper, deeper, okay. you know, deeper words, deeper uh, uh, reservoir of, of intention. Um, then we have, uh, I, and I did mention this on the 13th, Mars is trining Saturn as Mars moves into Scorpio. And that in itself gives us some, some, some ability to move around the big pieces and to stabilize things. So that's on the 13th. There are other things going on that are more troublesome, but that is certainly operative then. Um, then on the 21st and 22nd, when Venus and Mercury, um, uh, both Venus trines Jupiter and Mercury trines Saturn, again, there's certainly some ease of movement behind whatever the difficulty is. Mm. And then on the 24th, when the sun um, trines Saturn, that stabilizes um, once again. And, and although we haven't mentioned this yet, I said the month goes out with a bit of craziness. This is a trine on the last day of the month, but it's a craziness trine because Venus, which at the beginning of the month was trining Jupiter, um, now trines Uranus. And so that Venus trine Uranus on Halloween on October 31st um, trines theoretically are stabilizing because the energy flows. Where's the energy flowing? It's flowing from what I want and what I love to something I've never done before. Oh. Uranus, the wild card, the erratic, mm. the rebellious. And so um, I don't know how stabilizing this is, but it still might feel good whether I act on it or not. Okay. So those are the, so it, it's not as bad as as it okay. sounded at first. That's good. Right. Three thirteen, twenty three, twenty four, twenty one. Although on October, Wait, that's my locker room. That's my combination lock. <laughs> oh, good. Hey, there's something I wrote down on the twenty first that it said we had the Venus trine Jupiter make nice seems okay for a bit, plus a meltdown on a fundamental level, plus something stable that can come from this. I know that's a lot, but that is a lot that, because that is, I mean, Mercury is conjoining the sun and the sun and Mercury together are squaring Pluto. That's, that's the power struggle meltdown. Mm. But Venus trining Jupiter is a moment of sweet pleasure. You know, it's like get, getting, you know, the dessert at the restaurant free and it's the most amazing chocolate volcano cake you, whatever you've ever had and it's sugar-free gluten-free and fat-free and it tastes amazing and it's oh my god okay uh although if it was really venus and jupiter it would be fat intense because yeah. because that's what venus jupiter are and then on the same day mercury um moves into scorpio and by tomorrow by the following day it trines saturn this is a dynamic moment and everything you said was true and then some hmm. okay all right, so then we have October 28th is, is another key date, obviously, with the lunar eclipse. You said it's even more intense than the solar eclipse was. 
Uh, I think the days leading into the eclipse make it more intense because uh, of, again, it's a return to the complication and the frustration. It's almost like by October 24th, by October 25th or 6th, it's like <laughs> the party's over. You know, it's like, it's like whatever that, that, that pause in the disaster, whatever that inkling of, of sweet, you know, it, it, it fades. And that leads into these uh, quincunxes and sesqui squares. And then Mars opposes Jupiter, which is overblown. Mars opposes, Mars opposing Jupiter is what you want if you're a football player and you're heading out onto the field. Uh, or for that matter, even, you know, if you're um, a ballerina heading out onto stage, it's about exuberance. It's about it's about physicality, Mars. It's about clearly doing what it is that you're meant to do, Mars. And it's opposition to Jupiter. It's bringing in that magnification of over amplifying too much even. And so it can be very profound, but it's like already turning the volume up on everything and now the moon is full and now there's an eclipse mm. okay one of the things you emphasize with that eclipse is that it's really big and it's going it, it's going to be really big on the energy of making a stand for what is ours for our beliefs for our the things that we we, we want to make a stand for yeah it's a moon jupiter conjunction in taurus yeah, I, you know, I love what I have. And if I think that you're going to take it away from me with all that other stuff going on in Scorpio, I'm going to do what I need to do to protect what I think is mine. Mm -hmm. And that's true not only with physical, material, fiscal, monetary things, but it's also true with values. Mm -hmm. If I think you're taking some basic value of mine away, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do what I need to do to uh, offend and defend. Am I incorrect in? saying that this feels like one of the most dynamic months we've had in a while maybe august it what, what what you just said is proof of my one of my basic theories in life and my friends call it rick's theory of the overinflated importance of the present moment oh yeah you you bring this up quite a bit actually well because because when it's this month it's always the most intense month ever. not always no, it's not actually this all right, month all right, all right. i mean i'll give you this I'll, I'll give you this. If this month is intense, if it's if it's one of the three or four or five most intense months of the year, it automatically is the most intense. Yeah. <laughs> In other words, just get it close. Now, I'm not disagreeing with you. It's intense. For me to say whether it's the most intense or not, I'm not going to go there. You can't push me there. I'm going to. I'm just kidding. Because, because I'm influenced by my theory of the overinflated importance of the present moment. This month is always going to seem more intense while it's unfolding than when we look back at it from next February and we're going, oh my God, this is the most intense month, month ever. And then someone's going to say, well, you said that about October. Well, that's because we were in the month then. Well, you know, I have the vantage point of sitting here and listening to you every month and you do not always say it's the most important intense and you do not always make it seem like that way. That's why when you. Okay, but no, but, but, but remember, I started this whole thing with a noisy noise, a noise, a noister. Yes. I think that we're going to be annoyed. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is, there's a difference between irritation and, um, and intense disruption. 
Yes. Now, if, if, if you're irritating me uh, day in and day out, um, as I, we know you do, no. <laughs> if you're irritating me on a regular basis, that irritation will finally feel like it's a disruption. It'll feel more intense. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's just an irritation. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, I'm thinking that we're going to feel like this is more intense. But when we look back at it, I think that it will, we will see it as what it was, was more of an or a relentless, an unrelenting series of annoyances, disruptions, irritations, stoppages, restrictions, things that got in our way um, and that it may not be as intense in the big picture as either months in the past or months in the future will be. Mm. Okay. Great. All right, everybody. Thank you for being here. Make sure you go and grab your gift, which is at astrologyhub.com slash harmonic gift. If you're interested in, I mean, Rick brings up the harmonic aspects quite a bit, underscoring their importance. And it's not- yeah, But I should, I should say that in mundane work, like we're doing here, I'll uh-huh. lean on the half squares and the square and a halves, the eighth harmonic, because the division by two, four, eight, and so on, that's where action occurs. And so we lean on those. But doing natal charts, um, you know, without making the crazy jump into doing harmonic charts which and, and vibrational astrology, which is good and valuable and it works, but by just introducing the quintiles and septiles and noviles and 11 tiles, it opens up charts into stuff that you just never even knew that you could see, and even in your own charts. So having a month of kind of reviewing that uh, from a teaching level and then spending a month just looking at natal charts and seeing how 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 it can change the game when we look at these other aspects that, you know, we've been basically never told they existed. We're back to being the four-year-old you know, in the family drama that we don't know what's going on. We Mm. only get to see what we're told about. Mm. Love it. Okay. So you can get that at astrologyhub.com slash harmonic gift. Rick, lots of people in the comments excited about seeing you in person, having the opportunity to see you in person soon. So lots of great events coming up with Rick. And um, we'll look And there's always India, still heavenandearthworkshops.com. And India is December 6th through December 16th. It's a 10-day retreat at an Ayurvedic healing spa just up from the beach in the south end of Goa. Um, and um, in, in Drea, it's in Goa. And it's a place I've taught at before. And it's going to be absolutely magical. Uh, Heavenandearthworkshops.com. Mm. How many spots do you have left? Um, well, um, we, we were down to having maybe... Four or five left. We have we have about forty people already, you know, already registered. So we're taking we're we're owning the facility. We're we're taking over the whole place. But um, we have eight registrants who have already paid from Canada, and India has just revoked Canadian visas because they're having a diplomatic spat. It may be solved by then, um, but we may have addition. We may have uh, you know a, a handful of more openings. Wow! But right now there's still spots available. Um, and, um, and yeah, it's going to be amazing. 
I, again, I love this place. I've been there. It's it's magic enough that when everyone else leaves, I'm staying there for a month. That's how cool this place is. Very cool. All right. So go check that out, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being a part of our community. Thank you for making astrology a part of your life. Rick, we love you. Thank you for the heads up on October. And take care, everyone. Can't wait to catch you on the next episode. This podcast is presented by Astrology Hub. You can learn more and find all of our shows at astrologyhub.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes and help more people find the wisdom of astrology. Thank you for taking the time to do this now. Thank you for being a part of our community and for making astrology a part of your life.